even now, I'm not 100% comfortable in some environments. I would not, with my partner, I wouldn't just hold hands in any place. I would hold hands if we're at a, a queer event or a queer festival, but I still would say, possibly at my age, so I am one of the seniors now, I'm 61, and still doesn't feel comfortable holding hands or showing affection in public unless it's queer event or a queer festival. My name's Jo and I'm a lesbian woman living on Tauron country working with Macedon Rangers Accessible Arts. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this podcast episode was recorded, the Tauron lands of the Kulon Nation, and pay my respects to elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of various lands on which you live, work and play today, and acknowledge the sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside the artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. This episode you're about to hear is with Mez, a lesbian woman who works for Sunbury Cobalt Community Health's Way Out program across central Victoria. She discusses the importance of being exposed to different people and experiences without judgement and advocating for youth's right to be themselves. My name is Mez and I am a cisgender lesbian woman living in central Victoria and I work at Sunbury and Cobalt Community Health in the Way Out program, which is a program that promotes the rights, mental health and well-being of LGBTIQA plus young people in Victoria, central Victoria. How long have you been working in that space? So this is my 11th year. Right, and you from this area? Not originally. I am from a small country town in Gippsland, uh, Hayfield, and then I moved up to um, Blackwood, Trentham, and so I've been living in Trentham for the last sort of 10 years or so. Yeah, really enjoying, love being in the country. I've spent about 10 years in the city. I'm not really a city girl. What do they say? You can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl, so whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so how was it coming back to the country? After. Oh, I loved it. Mm. I was, as I said, I was about 10 years in the city and I was just starving for country and nature and um, so I came back. So I was in the city between 20 and 30 and that's probably when I discovered my sexuality. So thank God for university. Um, I don't think I would have because I was, you know, pretty conservative upbringing. Um, my mum was fairly religious and there was just no discussion. I knew nothing about anything to do with LGBTIQA+. I'll use the word queer from now on. Um, although I didn't use the word queer because mum used queer in that really derogatory way. Um, so I didn't know anything about it. There was one scandal when I was in Form 5, which is now Year 11, at school where the uh, where a student went off with a teacher. They were lesbians. It was hush-hush. And all I knew was that being a lesbian was disgusting and terrible. I would never want to be one of those. So I remember thinking, oh, I wouldn't want to be one of those. Um, I, I knew I didn't really fit in otherwise, but I didn't know I didn't want to be one of those. Um, so that was interesting. So when I did eventually make my way to the city and go to university and uh, started to be surrounded by different people and have different experiences, that's when my eyes were opened a bit more. And then I went back to university a little bit older. Um, I was early 20s and 
yeah, discovered um, my sexuality and it was pretty exciting and all of a sudden I felt like, wow, this is what's been missing in me all my life. And then went into a career, a primary school teacher. That kind of was uh, not a great place to come out. So I didn't come out ever as a primary teacher. And that probably was why I didn't, one of the reasons why I didn't stay in teaching. It was um, at the time very conservative. So it wasn't quite right for me. But I I lasted a little while, but it's hard kind of... um, It's only on reflection that I realise how much I suppressed, you know, my sexuality, who I was. Yeah, didn't sort of go out with with the the other teachers. They they sort of felt sorry for me because I wasn't in a relationship because I didn't speak about relationships or anything like that. So, yeah. Mm. So how old were you when you came out? I was, I think, 23. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about 23 which is kind of late these days, um, but still early. My current partner didn't come out till she was 42. So, um, And it can be a very difficult journey for some older people and particularly in rural and regional areas um, where they don't have role models or people in the community that are well-respected that are also queer. Mm. Was there a particular experience or person that helped you to accept who you are? Probably my first relationship, really. She was younger than me, but she kind of, I would say, uh, pursued or uh, encouraged. I remember one night we went out for drinks and she would be the one that made me wag classes, which I didn't like to do generally. Um, And she said, uh, you kiss all of your other friends, you know, goodbye and hello, you never kiss me. And I used to sort of go into the cafe and put my bag in between her and me because I felt I had feelings, but I didn't really know how to name them Uh, until one night she basically, I suppose, forced the issue. And after she said the kiss thing, we kind of talked about it. And then, I don't know, things went led on from there. So I spent that first year uh, at uni having a very nice experience, a new relationship, and it just felt right. Mm. As soon as I kissed another woman, it was like, oh, okay, oh, this is what it's all about. So, And when you, because you said, um, you know, back in school, you, you know, you wouldn't, wouldn't want to be one of those. No. <laughs> but how did you reckon with that? Exposure to more people and, and more diversity and more queer people in university. So you, I saw it more. Uh, first of all, I was actually that um, person I had that relationship with. Originally, I was kind of attracted to her and her friend were walking around uni. I didn't know them at all. And they looked colourful and different. And he was clearly gay and he was kind of open about his gayness. And so I was like attracted to that and didn't sort of know about what her sexuality was. So I think I was just attracted to people that had that kind of over gayness or queerness about them I was really attracted to that so it was just having just having those um, I don't know if you'd call them role models or yeah I suppose role models uh, and around about my age and in a learning environment it was fabulous yeah Mm. great was there a point in your life where you became really comfortable with expressing who you were like Oh, do you know, probably through this role. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was comfortable in certain environments and even now I'm not 100% comfortable in some environments. I would not, with my partner, I wouldn't just hold hands in any place. I would hold hands if we're at a a queer event or a queer festival, but I still would say, possibly at my age, so I am one of the seniors now, I'm 61, and... um, 
still doesn't feel comfortable holding hands or showing affection in uh, public unless it's queer. So that's why I love all of the queer events because I feel like I can really just be affectionate if I want to be or just wear the clothes I want to wear. And so this role has helped me because, you know, it's all about kind of promoting that the, 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 the rights but also the visibility um, and the value of queer people in um in our community. So I think probably the most comfortable just in the last 10, 15 years. Mm. Mm. Do you hope that one day we can get to a point where you do feel comfortable just being able to express your affection for your partner in public, wherever mm. you are? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's weird, but it's around older people you often feel mm. reluctant to talk about or um, show you know, who you really are because in some way you were brought up to think you might offend them. Um, it kind of sounds silly, but when you're in, when in an environment, I did do a little bit of work in aged care and I just didn't feel like I could speak about my partner. Fortunately, my partner's name is mass, sort of sounds masculine, so fortunately, I don't, shouldn't say that, but it just, you know, I talk about my partner, Chris, and so uh, anyone can be a Chris, and so people don't really um, question that. But, um, yeah, I'm mindful about which pronouns I use and I, maybe I shouldn't be. So maybe, yeah, in, in the future it would be really lovely to be able to just speak about your partner and uh, obviously I can do that in my workplace. It's fabulous. So Sunbury and Cobor Community Health are extremely affirming um, of different sexualities and genders and that's across the board. Like all the staff are fabulous and I love working there, which is why I've been there for so long. So, mm. yeah. What do you think we need to do to be able to get to that? I mean, I know we're talking about social conditioning within ourselves, like you said, not offending a, a older people. Or mm. yeah, and I get that. I, I totally get it. Yeah, where, what do we need to do to to sort of get past that? What I think this is part of it. Yeah. It's like listening to people's stories mm. and respecting that everybody's story is different. Uh, education is a really fundamental part of the program. So we have kind of three elements of the of what we do in Way Out and one of them is education and training. So we'll be having a really exciting event coming up. I'm so excited. Um, we've got a film screening of Who Am I, Who I Am, sorry, Who I Am. And it's a an evening for parents of neurodiverse and transgender young people. And it's an opportunity to speak with the director and filmmaker, um, one of the, the parent, I should say, the parent in the film, uh, and opportunities for people to just speak with each other and understand other people's experiences and that people aren't doing it out of choice. This is just, you know, this is life and people are diff they're all different and we need to appreciate people's different stories and respect their stories. So what we do is that we provide you know, opportunities like that. We provide education and training. We do workshops uh, just to see if we can get people to just get in the room and have conversations. And we like doing face-to-face -face things because it has much more impact. And I'm not the holder of all queer knowledge um, and nobody is. And so if we have, you know, people in the room that just discuss things and if they're, un if they're uncomfortable about something, let's discuss it and be honest and open. So uh, being open, honest and respectful and yeah and learning being willing to learn about other people and their experiences rather than ah sorry I'm gesturing <laughs> you know being closed to, to new experiences or things that you're not comfortable with mm -hmm. yeah
just earlier on we were talking before we started recording about you know your role that you do professionally and also you know your own personal life and and how you have found at times resistance from from people when you're educating Mm. and how that seeps into you Mm. can you talk to me about that a little bit Mm. um I think you don't necessarily realise how, how vulnerable you are unless you have lived experience and you're delivering education and training. So I think I went in quite gung-ho and not realising that not everybody is going to be as open as, say, the people I work with. <laughs> um, so I've been into you know a number of different organisations and, look, I'd have to say the majority of people are pretty fantastic, but there have been a few times when uh, I've been challenged with some you know some uncomfortable thoughts people not really seeing any uh, relevance or justification for the work we do yeah just challenging uh, people's kind of identities and that can make you feel as as you know somebody with lived experience as a queer person sometimes you can feel invalidated by the types of questions and discussions people can have I'm very open and happy to, to answer questions, but sometimes they're loaded or, you know, they've got presuppositions that, that you you don't feel comfortable. It can make you feel a little unsafe. Um, when I say unsafe, generally not physically, I'm talking about emotionally, um, you can feel a little bit unsafe. I had one instance where I was called into uh, a principal's office. I was supporting a young person in the school and the principal wanted me to kind of justify my role and who I was. And I remember, you know, we were sitting around a table and there was this little uh, book in the middle of the table and it sort of said Jesus. And all I remember is seeing the word Jesus and I'm like, oh, I don't know what this means. Um, You know, I don't know whether I'm offending somebody's, um, you know, their beliefs or what's happening. But it was, it seemed like so well not well placed, but placed to kind of put me in my place. And then he just like, there was a barrage of questions about the program, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I just felt like I was, I was on trial. It was really awful. I've never forgotten it. I felt really, yeah, personally attacked as well as professionally attacked. And I found that really, really difficult. I mean, I got through it and it was all right. And the, the principal's okay in the end, but it was a really, it was, I was put through the third degree and I felt really like um, that, well, actually we have made sure for, for the future that really there's more than one presenter or one person going into other environments together to just ensure that the safety of the other person. And as I say, it's not necessarily f- physical safety, although many queer people have had their physical safety uh, challenged. From now on, we just make sure that we've got each other's back. <laughs> and our organisation is very uh, supportive of that mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. What are you most proud of, of the, the work you're doing professionally, like the, I guess, the contribution you're making towards people's lives becoming better? I think I just love that the young people that we work with, they keep coming back. They just feel like they can say anything and they can share anything and they don't have to be stuck in an identity. Uh, so when we have groups, for example, they will just come in and just talk about anything and they will use, they'll say, no, I'm using a different name today and this is the, this is the pronoun I'm trying. They are happy to explore uh, their gender and sexuality or they're happy to stick with whatever gender and sexuality that, that they present as and 
they feel really comfortable doing that and this they feel I know they feel so if they tell me and you know it's nice to get the Christmas cards to say oh thanks for thank you for letting me just be who I am and they'll bring other people into the space because they know it's a safe space and it's really satisfying to see them just doing all that exploratory stuff in a really um, you know way that honors who they are and honors honors their personal identity and not what other people are telling them they need to be so it's mm. great yeah and if you don't mind talking about how you've reclaimed the word queer yes <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's it's been a, it was a work in progress <laughs> because at the start it was like oh the word queer it's so derogatory for some people and was in my um upbringing and then, you know, I really do recognise the importance of reclaiming words and turning, you know, the negative into the positive. And then listening to the way people refer to themselves and recognising that they're the community, many parts of the community have reclaimed it and not all parts of the community and also recognising that. So when we're delivering education and training, rather than saying LGBTIQA+, um, I will say to people, so if we want to use a collective word, um, how do people feel about using queer or we might use, use the rainbow community. So I just check in with people about what they feel comfortable with. And I think, interestingly, so I, 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 it's just been over time work, working in the sector and working with different groups of people and them referring to themselves as queer. And then it's like, well, OK, you know, I'll just go with it. Similarly, just recently, uh, many of the young people we work with are choosing the pronoun, not the personal pronoun, but the, the pronoun it and it's to refer to themselves. And I've found that like a real struggle. I've been really honest in the group saying, ah, it sounds like, you know, you're an object and it makes me feel like bad. And, then, and I say, what do you want to use it for? And they say, because it makes me feel more comfortable. And then somebody in a similar role to myself um, from Warnable. Sparkles, hi Sparkles, um, <laughs> who is a wonderful um, worker as well, said, do you know language changes and we need to change with it and if the young people are saying this is what makes us feel comfortable then we need to use that language and I said yes, that's, that makes sense, fair enough. Uh, it isn't, you know, it does evolve and that's the language they're using and so I just need to use it and because that's what they want. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How's your relationship with your mother now? Oh, well, my mother has passed away, right. so that was all right. Okay. And, in fact, very good relationship since she died. It's really interesting when someone dies how you uh, actually feel differently about them and so you can look back and I'm a lot more forgiving about her and the way she was mm. towards me. So it's kind of good, really. It's it's weird because it's funny when someone passes it and I'm not religious but so you just kind of talk to them and and I I know she would be fine about everything now and, and she was actually my, my current partner is a nurse and when mum was um, unwell, she, my partner was really helpful to her and really kind and I think that was really great for her. Mm. She she really appreciated that so it felt really good. And my brother is also gay so, you know, she just had to get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What does the word pride mean to you? Hmm. Feeling not only good about yourself and others and your community, but feeling respected and valued. So I think pride is, it's an all-encompassing word. And I do think it's about value a lot, you know, valuing 
people for who they are, affirming people for who they are and going, hey, you're an amazing person. You're person first. You're gender and sexuality second. You're a person. You know, all those other things, they matter, but not in the way that we've been brought up to think they matter, as in, you know, you have to wear dresses or you have to have short hair or be strong or whatever. So, yeah, I, I love the word. We, we use it a lot in, in our um, programs because it just it's a feel-good word. I don't know. It feels good to me and feels good to all of us. We go, oh, yes, let's call this the pride something or other. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> feels good. Is there anything you would like to share with your teenage self? Oh, gosh, I feel sorry for her. I, I, rec- I also recognise that I was quite depressed um, for a lot of my childhood. My, my dad died when I was a teenager. And um, I look back and I just, I did not have a lot of confidence I think my advice would be find your tribe. I didn't know how to find my tribe back then. And I have to say, if you are living rurally, regionally, um, so I was in a small country town, as I said, it can be harder. But now the kids have, rightly or wrongly, they do have access to uh, social media so they can reach out and find others that are similar. So I think finding your tribe is really good, people that are going to honour who you are doesn't mean necessarily the same sexuality or gender any necessarily, but it might be you're in the drama group or you're in a group that that kind of fits who you are. How does it feel to, because you grew up in the country and obviously it was things were very different when you were growing up and now you're in the country again and things are very different. Mm. How does it feel to see that difference and um, the evolution of where we've come? Well, it's wonderful being up here, I have to say, because I purposely didn't move back to East Gippsland where I come from because I didn't feel it had moved ahead in quite the same leaps and bounds. But I did move to be near Dalesford because it was at at the time known as kind of the, the queer capital of Victoria. So I was quite aware of where I was moving to, um, which was more, I say, say, enlightened. But the wonderful thing now is it's kind of spread. It's little tentacles. So it's spread from there. And so, you know, being in the Macedon Ranges where we are now, it's really over time. And with the work we're doing and we celebrate Ida Hobbit every year and we raise rainbow flags and we have groups and events, it just feels great. Seeing a rainbow flag being flown and rainbow stickers on doors, I love that. And the we are welcome here or you are welcome here kind of signs um, on doors. I love it. It, it, it means something to me what personally. Can, mm, mm. What can be done for those other communities, regional towns, mm. places that aren't so enlightened? Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, you know, I'm sure there are quite a few around Australia. What, mm. what, what do you think needs to happen? Look, I think sometimes you do need a, a dedicated worker or dedicated person to, you know, inform and get out there in the community. It's really difficult for, you know, one or two people to do everything. So what has been wonderful is that we have had this its a Victorian government-funded position. So having a government-funded position has made a massive difference. And, you know, having the commissioner is great, you know, the LGBTIQ commissioner of Victoria. Having that kind of, I suppose you'd call it, backup is really wonderful. So having any service like a community house or a health service, anything in those country towns that will have somebody that either is uh, in that main role or has a big component of their role is to work in the community, the LGBTIQA plus community. 
makes a really big difference because they can work with others to activate different groups, could be sporting groups, could any sorts of groups to do things like pride matches, um, you know, like there's a lot of pride matches around. So all of those things can happen, but having a dedicated person makes a really big difference or more than one, ideally. Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And with your your partner at the moment, did you say that you have children? So I had um, two children. I'm not the non-birth mother, so I I was with a previous partner for about almost 13 years and we had two children. So I was the non-birth mother and I was just saying how sometimes that can be really difficult, particularly if you... Um, split up with that with your partner, which we did. And so then it's about what's your role? Are you still a parent or aren't you a parent? Because, you know, your ex is repartnered and whilst I still have a lot to do with the kids, I'd say that's been, probably had the biggest impact on my life, really deeply loving the children, trying to maintain a relationship, you know, kind of with the ex. They also have a gay dad who lives locally as well, so they spend time with him as well. So it's kind of, we call ourselves the modern family and um, just kind of navigating that. But I went through quite a few years of feeling like, well, who who am Mm. I? After we split up, like, who am I? The kids didn't care because it was like I was just mez and for them it wasn't a challenge. But for me, it's like I wasn't, we weren't in the two mummy you know, thing because it was just too hard. We don't want to have two mummies. One person's this and one person's that. But then all of a sudden, you know, I felt like, oh, am I, I'm not a parent anymore. I'm not living with it full time. And, you know, it was, mm. that was, had been a really big challenge. And I didn't really have anybody else that was in that same situation as me. So, you know, a lesbian woman with an ex-partner and two kids and, oh, you know, mm. it's very tricky. And when there's things like, questionnaires oh do you have kids it's like well yes and no and I don't live like it's Mm. there's a lot of you wouldn't even think about it but there's been many times when I haven't really known how to answer questions on uh, different forms because it's like well I am but I'm not because I'm not the birth mother and the the kids are living you know sometimes Mm. they'll be with me but they're with the dad and the mum but they're separate like it's all over the place I don't know. They're doing pretty well, actually, considering our family. We have all put the kids first, which which mm. was one great thing that mm. happened out of all of that. But it is it can be hard to know what your role is in that kind of when you're out of that traditional. And maybe that's my age as well because I was brought up in that traditional mother, father, you know, kids. And I was fine about being, you know, mother and me and the kids. But then when all of a sudden it was like, oh, now I'm like left out. I'm like the shag on the rock. I'm not sure who I am. And my, and I don't even know how to refer to the kids often, but let's say my son, he, he says, I just, I say, what do you, one day I I saw him um, at school and one of the kids said, who's she about me? And he said, oh, 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 I don't know. And then later I said, what, what, why didn't you just say my name? And he said, oh, I don't know. And then after that, he told me he just tells everyone I'm his stepmum. And I'm like, well, I'm not really your stepmum, but okay, that's a way for you to say it. So we didn't really have a, a word. So that was interesting, mm. interesting in itself. Yeah. So that's probably had, you know, one of the most, I can talk about it now without crying almost. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so you've come to you've done a bit of work around it, and yeah, but yeah. obviously, it's <laughs> triggering Not something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How old are they now? Oh, old, nineteen and seventeen. Just turned okay. seventeen. Yeah. yeah. So. Are they close by? 
Yeah, yeah, oh. close by. So mm. one goes to school and is in year 12 yeah. and she finishes this year, which is exciting. The other one's just launching into the working world and finding his feet. So, yeah, but, you know, I love them both, you know, so much. Yeah. What do you love about living here? Oh, I, I love the bush and I love... I love the environment. Um, I love that, you know, the oldest rang me on the weekend and said, do you want to come and go for a swim in the river? And, you know, things like that, being able to just go and enjoy nature and go for walks and I love the people. And the opportunities really, it sounds like we wouldn't have opportunities, but in some ways um, people are ready to try something new in the country because they haven't seen it or we don't have it, we don't have as much. So it's like... We've got this idea and uh, so we have events which maybe B, my colleagues, spoke about, you know, queers on the catwalk. That kind of started from we have camps for young people and they always love dressing up. So I'd take all these dress-ups and they always wanted to do a little bit of a catwalk. And so over time it just sort of like, you know, snowballed and it became an event which is really exciting and an intergenerational event. But um, the kids still love dress-ups and the last Pride camp we had, oh, so many dress-ups. <laughs> Um, and the kids just love it and I think that's mm. another way that people can express their gender, no questions asked, just wear whatever you like and be whoever you want to be and, yeah, it's wonderful. Mm. That's mm. beautiful. Well, I think that's that'll do us for now. Thank Great. you so much for sharing and, yeah, being so open. Thank you. Mm. No, it's great. I, I love stories and I love listening to other stories yeah, as well. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. This podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pridefinder, the Rainbow Road Trip, was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pridefinder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA plus Victorians to help capture their unique stories. These conversations are frank, honest, and reflect the language, thoughts, history, and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes.